Born Gathered Catholic Podcast with Father Rob Kroll and me, Jim Fellows. Father Rob, how you doing today? Hey, Jim. I'm doing okay. We uh, we had a little bit of rain yesterday and today, which uh, normally I'm not so excited about, but uh, we've had a lot of dry weather here in Milwaukee, so it was nice to get some rain. We always, we never want to complain about the rain. And uh, yeah, start to a new week. So overall, life is pretty good. How about yourself? Um, Things are great. There's nothing (laughs) really to report. (laughs) Packers won yesterday, so I'm happy about that. And the Brewers are into the uh, postseason play. So uh, yeah, there's some things on the sport. So are the Twins. That's right. No, they aren't. They aren't. Oh, I don't know. I see how much I follow. Paying attention. No, they have a horrible. No, they lost uh, eighty-nine games. Oh, ouch! Yeah, they're they're um, the 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 mark uh, that they're proud of is that they didn't lose (laughs) ninety. Well, that's setting the bar a little low. But we could have lost ninety. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I can't think of uh, anything, uh, nothing nothing new or exciting going on over here. Yeah, Not like, yeah. you know, the Packers and the Brewers. It'll be it'll be fun to watch the Brewers in postseason. Though. Yeah, I think so. Although you, your one pitcher um, put his fist through a wall and broke it. That was I crazy. know, I know. If I were the coach, I would be just slightly upset. I think he's going to be out. I mean, he's going to be out. For the entire no, he's season. done. Yeah, he's done. So <laughs> he's not right. be in the, the Brewers will be in postseason. He <laughs> won't be. And uh that, that's where one of those stud finders is helpful. You know, find the right place in the wall where you can actually put your fist through it and not worry about hitting, you know, anything underneath. But why why I I just don't know what I don't know. But we're not, uh, we're not doing know. a podcast on wall punching. <laughs> <laughs> They're not being paid for their intellects. Let's put no, it that way. No, that's, that's a good point. Um, but what are we talking about today? Well, we thought that it might be fun to take a look at um, one of the most popular uh, literary pieces of all time, uh, The Lord of the Rings, and try to uh, distill from it some of the Catholic themes, some of the Catholic symbolism found therein. So we're going to spend uh, a little time just, yeah, looking at the Lord of the Rings. I think a lot of our listeners have probably, well, seen the movies and, and perhaps even read the books. I know that I uh, read each book um, as each movie was preparing to come out. So the movies came out, Peter Jackson's movies came out uh, a year apart. So I read each book uh, just in time to see the movie. And um, yeah, hopefully enough of our listeners are familiar with the story that they'll be able to relate. I'm going to guess. Well, first of all, let me ask you this. Do you know how popular a book this is? Well, I've heard statistics about how, um, you know, when people are polled uh, in England and the United States to talk about, you know, like the best book ever, it's like number one. I mean, it's a, it's considered to be, in fact, this, this angers some, uh, some professors because they feel like it's it's too popular a work to be ranked number one above uh, other books like uh, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I heard it was number two. And anyway, they, they consider it kind of too um, pedantic, I guess, to qualify. But when, when the average person out there is asked, uh, Lord of the Rings seems to jump up to the top. Well, it is, um, from a statistical standpoint, it is the fourth most read book in the world. Wow. Okay. 
That's, so yeah, got that going for it. There's yeah, uh, it uh, the Bible number one. Yep. Uh, number two. It's weird. <laughs> Do you know what? <laughs> take a guess into what number two is. So the books that beat uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, David Copperfield. No. <laughs> two. I'm only going to let you guess one. It's quotations. From Chairman Mao Zedong. <laughs> That's because they forced every person in China to respond to this. That, that might be. Who, who's doing, who's doing this? Revolution Where is this coming from? Who's the source of all this anyway? I don't know. But. Um, it's just, I'm just, I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> oh, okay. um, no, it's uh, the 10 most bo- read books in the world. Hmm. Um, and it's at businessinsider.com. So, oh, okay. Right. And then r- the one that uh, is uh, uh, beat it, I'm guessing it's uh, the series beat it. Uh, Lord uh, is uh, Harry Potter. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. And then Lord of the Rings. Okay. Well, still respectable. And then some really weird books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't. We don't have to Twilight continue down the list. Made the top ten. Oh no. Okay. Really. Yeah. That's kind of Thinking sad. Grow, grow Rich, also in the top yeah. ten. Oh. Anyway, um, so yeah, popular book. Movies are pretty popular. I think mm-hmm. that uh, for us to do this justice, we need to make this podcast about uh, three and a half hours long. <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. Well, that'll be a record for us, too. We've come close to that, but we haven't quite We've gotten come way that, too but. close to that. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so... Um, what was the other point that I was going to make? I can't read your mind, so I'm not going to wish you could. That would have been really, really helpful. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so, uh, top 10, uh, the fourth most popular book in the world. I'm going to guess that, um, our listeners, I would bet money that most, if not all of our listeners have read the books. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. And I have not. No, we not none of them. <laughs> it's good that I'm going to be, you know, talking about it today. <laughs> well, you've seen the movies, yeah, and, yeah. and the and the movies are actually a pretty a pretty well done adaptation of the books. I would say well, that's what that's what I've been told. I um I have tried, and I'm doing it right now. I'm I'm about uh, like fifteen percent of the way through uh, Lord of the Rings. I've been reading it. Um, Every week, I'm setting aside time to read okay. Lord of the Rings, just All because right. it's like this is the mo- fourth most popular book in the world. I really should probably give it another shot. Yeah. I've tried it uh, half a dozen times, and um, honestly, I, I got <laughs> a little lost in the. Well, um, yeah, he does sometimes launch into these long descriptions of like fields and surroundings, and it gets a little tedious. So you have to right. kind of. They're just yeah. walking by this thing, and then there's 14 pages on the the river they just crossed. Yeah, and yeah. It's like, is this going to be important? No, <laughs> it's just I just wanted to go off on it. <laughs> right, right. So. <laughs> How about the Hobbit? Did you read the Hobbit? I haven't. I've seen the yeah. movies, but I didn't. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I haven't read the Hobbit either. If if okay. this is the, I mean, this is this has been a very good attempt, and I'm having a greater appreciation for it this time. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to be able to, um, to you know, slug your way through. So embarrassed with my lack of reading uh, Lord of the Rings. Okay, all right. Well, nobody's quizzing you or checking up on you, so just do it for fun. My wife is. She's oh. a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Ah, all right. 
Yeah. She has bought every version of the, of the movie as it's come out. Wow. Like the, you know, the extended cut and the, you know, just yeah, whatever. Right? Yeah. It came out in VHS. She bought that. <laughs> came out in DVD. She bought that. They had the wow. extended cut. That. Well, Jen is a definite fan. Huge fan. By the way, we really if, if anybody hasn't seen the movies and they want to, they really should see the extended ones because I, I saw them only once and it was actually uh, during COVID. A few of us watched it. And there are, for each of the three films, there's like 20 to 30 minutes of extra um, footage. So definitely it's worth getting the extended version. So. Did you see him in the theaters? No, no, no. We just, uh, one of the guys had him, I think, uh, owned him. And so we no, just but watched did you, them. Did you see oh, the Oh, I did see the originals. The yes, I did. As they okay. came out each year, I did see them in the theater. Yep. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk Dive about in. this instead of me just blathering on about not having read the books. <laughs> All right. Well, I think the place we thought we would start is before looking at any of the specific characters or themes, we just wanted to highlight the fact that, uh, Tolkien himself believed that the Lord of the Rings, in his words, I'm quoting him now, he said, it's fundamentally a religious and Catholic work, unconsciously so at first, but consciously in the revision. And so for him, um, you know, this is very much a, a work that shot through with his Catholic sensibility, his Catholic imagination. And it's interesting because nowhere in the book does he really make explicit mention of God or the Catholic Church or Christianity um, or of, you know, Christian worship. So um, a lot of people might wonder, you know, well, how can we call it a Christian or Catholic work if, if there's no mention of that stuff? And, um, you know, Tolkien, I think, like many Catholics, has a real deep appreciation for how Christ is present in many kind of hidden and subtle ways in our world and even in other religions and through like the natural law. So like seeing pagan peoples, pagan myths as somehow um, in a hidden way, in a subtle way, containing elements of Jesus Christ and Christianity. And so even if they're not made explicit, um, you know, they can kind of be detected throughout the work. And um, we might contrast like Lord of the Rings with C.S. Lewis's Narnia Chronicles. That's much more explicitly allegorical. Like when you see Narnia and you read all the books of that series, like it's no, it's a no brainer that Aslan, the lion is, is a very explicit Christ figure and he remains so, you know, all the time. Whereas in Lord of the Rings, you've got a number of different people that could be kind of considered Christ figures. And then, you know, they're, they're kind of, um, it's just a lot more subtle. So, so it's not that Christ, in Tolkien's mind, it's not that Christ was absent or the church was absent, but it's all kind of, um, you know, it's all kind of imbued with this in a more, in a more uh, diffuse way. And uh, so, anyway, those are some of the things we. I know we're gonna. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the uh, the the pagan yeah. influence and the the the. I found that to be fascinating when I was reading. Uh, um, is is it Kreft? Peter Kreft. Yeah, Peter Kreft. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he he was talking about how you know in in reference to Lord of the Rings that the um, the pagan things shouldn't just be. 
dismissed out of hand that they're a little bit more complex and that there's there's some truth that's trying to come through about God through uh, through the pagan practices, which I thought was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I, I saw the tie-in with uh, with Lord of the Rings, but it it also it brought me back to uh, my time in Guatemala. And mm-hmm. I was living uh, living in a town that was heavily indigenous. It was like ninety nine percent indigenous people. Uh-huh. And the 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 Mayan gods um, were still looked upon and 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 in some ways revered. Um, but they would, as they became Catholic, they started associating the the Mayan pagan gods with various. Um, Christian, you know, people within the Bible, within saints and um, different things like that. It was really, really, it was very complex. It was very interesting. And they were tying like their pagan roots with their Catholic stuff and making it all work together. And it's yeah, not, they're not, they had a uh, God. Um, one story that fascinates me, they had a God called Mashimon mm-hmm. who uh, they loved because Mashimon had committed every single sin that could be committed. Mm. And so you couldn't be worse than my Shimon. Mm-hmm. So it was like, there was a relatable thing there. It's like, well, as bad as I am, I'm not as bad as my Shimon. <laughs> and, and they would have a celebration for him and people would bring like uh, cigarettes and alcohol and all the stuff. To mm-hmm. And in and, and some towns they had a house that my Shimon lived in. Uh. <laughs> this doll would live there. Wow. Like nobody else had houses but Mashimon in this place. But <laughs> um, during Holy Week, the Mashimon doll is hung in effigy and he becomes Judas. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty great. Really fascinating. Yeah. Mm hmm. Anyway, back to Lord of the Rings. I just well, no, wait, just, but I want to I want to piggyback on that because I haven't been to Guatemala, but I did spend two years as a Jesuit uh, on the Pine Ranch. Ridge. Well, this is more on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. I did oh. I did there too, but uh, but um, I lived among Native peoples in in right. South Dakota, and uh, and it's interesting to me too how actually there's been sort of a resurgence in in recent times among some Native peoples of their Native traditions and and religious practices, and so. For example, the sweat lodge on the Pine Ridge that I, you know, witnessed and even participated in, it's seen as a very much a purification ceremony. And, um, you know, you can make some parallels with like the Christian understanding of, of uh, purification through confession and so forth. And then also they have this Sundance ritual where uh, one of the men will literally pierce his skin with a... Uh, kind of a needle and this will be tied to a pole and there's a dance that goes on until eventually this needle, it, it kind of like, it sounds kind of disgusting, but it, it kind of rips through the skin a little bit. And so it's seen as sort of this sacrificial act and which blood is even um, involved. And so maybe, maybe again, in a very distant way, we can see something of a precursor of the crucifixion and, I mentioned these specifics just because I think that we as Catholics can appreciate how other religions and even pagan, what we would sort of often use the word pagan and kind of a, uh, you know, to denigrate things, but that, in, you know, in the best of pagan religions and civilizations, even though they don't know Christ explicitly, 
there's something in the human person that longs for Jesus Christ. And we already see kind of um, elements of it in, in these pre-Christian cultures. And, and, you know, and as Catholics, we, we have great reverence for some of the um, philosophers, the Greek philosophers like Aristotle or Plato, who again, were pre-Christian, lived in a pagan culture, Greek culture, and yet, you know, were very wise and, and a lot of their truths are consistent with uh, Christ, later Christian beliefs. So anyway, just to say that, you know, the point I guess we're trying to make is that just because Lord of the Rings doesn't um, talk explicitly about Christianity or Catholicism, it, it's kind of there on every page, um, but but in a more hidden way. Right. So, good. Well, maybe maybe we can talk about some of the things in the stories that we find um you know, again, where the Catholicism is kind of, uh, we, we as Catholics would see it, you know, as being present and we can make some parallels between the Lord of the Rings world, uh, the Middle Earth world and the, some of the characters and then kind of what we as Catholics, are, you know, believe. Um, how does that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> no, I'm with you 100%. I'm, All right. I'm not going to, you know. I'm going to offer commentary. I'm not going to offer like insights because, you know, I've seen the movies. I just uh, yeah. I haven't uh, I haven't delved into the books as I should have. Okay, that's it. Um, well, let's see. You know, one thing that we might start with is uh, the ring itself because um, that's such a central uh, piece of the whole story. Um, we have this ring that. You know, when we when the people in the story put the ring on their finger, um, it brings them great power. Um, it makes them invisible to others, and uh, and it allows them to kind of see uh, Sauron, this great evil, you know, figure. You can see Sauron and and kind of the evil uh, around the wearer of the ring with greater clarity. But the problem is that um, when people put on the ring, they, they think it's going to deliver, you know, all this wonderful power and give them all this wisdom. And it, it ends up actually corrupting them and it kind of slowly warps, warps them and, and uh, leads them down a path of evil to the point where they're actually more enslaved. Um, you know, it promises power and freedom and control over everybody else, but it ends up uh, enslaving, you know, people. And we see this in the story, you know, with somebody like Gollum, uh, we see Frodo's struggle and there's any number of characters that want to get their hands on this ring, um, in order to, uh, you know, get, get whatever they think is going to be, um, powerful and pleasurable. But, um, anyway, I think, you know, we, we, in our own lives, we know that we struggle with that too, that sometimes we think that certain earthly realities, be it, you know, wealth or, uh, you know, relationships or whatever it might be that if we can just get a hold of this thing, uh, it's going to, it's going to kind of satisfy all of our longings and it's going to give us, um, autonomy and it's going to give us maybe a certain control, over the world and over other people. But then we find that actually we get kind of addicted to these things or they end up uh, owning us, possessing us and kind of enslaving us. So I think, you know, the ring is, uh, yeah, one of those central pieces of the story that, 
you know, has, I mean, it reflects something of our own, you know, our own fallen world um, and how we can be kind of corrupted or, or perverted, you know, by the quest for power and uh, for, for the things of this world. Um, it's interesting to me that the ring is destroyed. Tolkien gives very few dates in the stories, but one of the dates he gives is that the ring is destroyed on March 25th, which uh, our devout listeners will know is the um, day of the Annunciation, the Feast of the Great uh, Feast of the Annunciation. So on the very day that the incarnation takes place, when uh, the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she's to be the mother of God and he's conceived in her womb, it's on that date uh, that the ring itself is destroyed. So in token had all that in mind. The, um, if, if I can throw some stuff out to do mm-hmm. my research um, and listening to, I will refer to a podcast that really goes into detail mm-hmm. on Lord of the Rings. Um, I can't remember where I got this from, but they were talking about how Tolkien um, wanted to demonstrate that evil could create nothing and it could only destroy Mm-hmm. That good can create, but evil can't ever create. Right, and and I thought, well, that's okay. That's insightful. And if that's like what Tolkien was was going for, that's you know, yeah, impressive. And then the second thing that really caught me off guard was that uh, Gollum or Smeagol or whatever name you're going to go by um, wasn't an evil character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Originally, like, I mean, right. I when I saw him, I'm like, well, clearly that's an evil character. Mm. that was just my assumption watching the movies and they're like no it's he's not evil in fact you know they they, did i think it was a craft that talks about that um even satan started out as good right yeah i think the main point is that evil is not something that exists in and of itself but it's always a perversion or a corruption of what is good and so like you say i mean Satan was originally Lucifer, light, you know, light bearer filled with light. He was the most powerful and most beautiful of all the angels. So he was originally a beautiful creature. And just the fact that he had existence means there was goodness there. Right. Now he, he falls therefore the hardest or the worst or whatever and becomes Satan. But yeah, even now as Satan, while, while we associate him with complete evil and obviously he is God's enemy, but, to the extent that he still retains existence, which is itself is a good, um, yeah, he's not totally evil. So I think, yeah, the point of Kraft and these other, you know, thinkers is in the podcast is that, um, you know, evil doesn't have like, in a sense, its own substance. It's, it's a parasitic reality that kind of like feeds off of something that is originally good because it's created by God and therefore it has existence and comes from God's hands. And like you were talking about like Smeagol and, and Gollum, I think the kind of the name change is really important so that, you know, Gollum is the corrupted or perverted form of Smeagol, but, but Smeagol began as a, as a hobbit. And, uh, and you even see in the movies, certain scenes where, you know, originally he looks like a hobbit and seems to be, you know, kind of, sharing in that whole Hobbit happiness. And it's only after wearing the ring for so long that he becomes uh, distorted and, and corrupted. And, and I, I don't remember if it was the podcast, but 
somewhere in my research too, you know, it was pointed out that like the trolls are really an evil form of the ants, those trees, you know, so the ants are warped into trolls and elves are, some elves are warped into orcs. And then like the Nazgul, those, um, you know, those kings that ride around on the horses searching for the ring, they, they're originally human kings. So, so again, all of these are creatures that now we associate with pure evil, but um, are actually a, a corruption of what was originally good. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it is, fa- it is fascinating. So uh, continue on, Father. All right. Well, let's see. What else would I say? You know, I think one of the things that we'd probably, anybody familiar with the stories would kind of recognize pretty quickly is how certain figures in the story are like, are kind of like Jesus Christ. You know, we, again, uh, not um, as explicitly as Aslan the lion is in the Narnia tales, but there are certain characters that clearly can be compared to Jesus in various ways. So you think about Gandalf, for example, and how, um, you know, like Jesus, uh, his whole mission is to be of help to the fellowship. And, you know, he's there to kind of restore hope when, when it seems like they're in a situation of despair. He comes in and fights evil and, and you know, the evil powers on behalf of the fellowship. And like Jesus, who is God, he's God Almighty, but, he, but he's also you know, combining the divine nature with the human nature. So he's also very humble and lowly. You know, Gandalf, you know, he's originally Gandalf the Grey. He's this kind of humble pilgrim. Um, and, and yet after, you know, after he dies and comes back to life, he's Gandalf the White and he's got all this more power. Um, he lays down his life in the story. You know, you guys, will re- listeners will remember that um, he fights that, demon, the Balrog, and then he's, you know, taken down into the underworld, but he, he reemerges, um, and he has a resurrection experience. So another way in which he's very much like Jesus. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about Gandalf, but I think, you know, he's clearly one of the Christ figures. He's not the only one. He was, um, honestly, I was a little unimpressed with him in the first, uh, the first movie. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> like, so they, they all kind of meld in my mind. I kind of remembered uh, it. Yeah, kind of it. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, he he kind of came into his own after his own later on. Right, the weight. You're right. Right. That's true. That's true. Um, if people were people. Oh my gosh, people would get so mad at me when I was like, Gandalf. Hey, he doesn't seem to be able to do much. <laughs> not, not very hard to be a wizard. I not guess bad, that's right. That's right. I can light off fireworks. People get so mad at me about that. Right, right. You know, actually, he uh, there's this work that I have not read, and I know it's it's a very long and complicated work. But Tolkien wrote as kind of a prequel to the Lord of the Rings. He wrote this thing called the Silmarillion, and I understand that in there, Gandalf is actually introduced as a spirit named Olorin, and so he's a pure spirit, and then he only takes flesh so that the people of Middle Earth could actually trust him and understand his mission. So in that sense, too, he's kind of like Jesus Christ. He's originally pure spirit, but then takes on, you know, in, in Gandalf's case, the, the form of a wizard, takes on this wizard nature, you know, and Jesus takes on a human nature, but kind of a comparison there, too. I, I've also seen that Gandalf, in some senses, is like a papal figure. Uh, he's, 
he's you know crowning kings, he's blessing them and encouraging them to live uh, their kingship with justice and peace. And right. um, anyway, so he he's got sort of multi. He's got I guess a, a variety of, uh, of of ways in which he symbolizes other people than himself. But well, and and the uh, obvious. Um, you know, Christ figure in the, you know, once you go through the entire trilogy, it's like, right. but there are other Christ figures as well. There are. Would you like to t- nope. speak about one of them? <laughs> nope. I'm just, I'm All right. just <laughs> propping you up. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take the lob over the plate and try to hit it here. Um, well, I would say obviously Frodo is a Christ like character. I mean, he, uh, you know, he makes this ascent of Mount Doom and he is carrying the ring, right? So he's the ring bearer and the ring again, symbolizes evil. It symbolizes sin because the wearer of the ring gets corrupted and, and drawn into this, you know, evil, evil disposition. So it's sort of like Christ carrying his cross, um, up the, up the mountain, you know, up Calvary. And, um, and interestingly too, you know, Sam is kind of like, uh, Frodo's assignment of Cyrene, because there's a certain point in the story where Frodo is so weak that he can't continue the ascent up Mount Doom. And so Sam, uh, hoists him on his shoulders and kind of carries him the rest of the way. Um, so that's kind of an interesting uh, analogy or, or similarity there too. So yeah, I mean clearly Frodo. Again, it's not it's not all the time, but there are moments in the story when Frodo's Christ-like character kind of comes to the fore, and um, and he's a simple hobbit. That's what's kind of cool about this is the, is is the savior, as it were, is somebody who seemingly is very insignificant. You know, the hobbits are short. Uh, they're not very powerful. They're not huge. Like some of these other creatures, they're not wizards with all these miraculous, you know, extraordinary supernatural powers. They're just hobbits. And yet mm. they're the ones that are entrusted. You know, he's the one that's entrusted with this task of ultimately, uh, saving middle earth. Um, so anyway, that would be another, I think in my mind, certainly a, a very, very, uh, clear Christ figure or Jesus figure. And, and I think probably the last one would be Aragorn, you know, the king. Uh, you know, he's got healing powers. Uh, he's a ranger, and the rangers have this knowledge of plants and herbs and how they have all these healing and restorative qualities and whatnot. And then he's also a king, and, of course, the last part of the trilogy is the return of the king. So, you know, Aragorn could kind of be considered like Christ the king and Christ the healer, the divine physician. Um, and you remember in the story, in the movies that at one point, Aragorn, Aragorn, sorry, Aragorn goes into the realm of the dead or the path of the dead where there's all these ghost-like figures and, uh, it's a place of darkness. There are skulls all over the place. And then he emerges from them and, and they all follow, they all become this army. Uh, they're liberated. Um, and, and they come out, uh, to then liberate Gondor from its darkness. So there too, you know, Christ descending into the realm of the dead and then leading out, you know, Adam and Eve and all the people that were in purgatory, leading them all out into the, the kingdom uh, of light and so forth. So, so those would be, I think, the main Christ figures for me. 
I am. I, I my appreciation for Tolkien and for Lord of the Rings has grown tremendously from uh, uh-huh. reading the the commentaries and listening to the podcasts. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and then this particular aspect where Tolkien is um, using three characters uh, to to interweave um, uh-huh. price themes, and I, right. I just I'm like that's. You know, that's next level. That's yeah. that's really good writing. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And again, it's it's more complex than Lewis's uh, Lion. You know, but it, but it's kind of cool how different people at different moments can assume this Christ-like um, mantle, and uh, and it isn't as obvious. You know, it's yeah. So I, I I think it's really like you said, very creative, and it shows more genius. You know, because it's it's just more complicated, more complex. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and then, you know, like the whole fellowship of the ring, I think, you know, another Catholic theme that really stands out for me is how this whole fellowship of the ring is, is meant to be a symbol of the church. You know, you've got um, a variety of people that compose the fellowship of the ring. I mean, you've got the hobbit, the dwarf, the elf, you know, the man, the wizard. So all these different kind of diverse uh, quote unquote vocations coming together and, you know, they're all forming this band of brothers and this friendship. Um, and, and they have to rely on one another. You know, it's not a solo venture. They have to really support one another. And, and they're all after the same quest, which is to save, you know, Middle Earth and defeat evil. So, I mean, I think it's very easy to say, well, that's, you know, that's what the church is. I mean, it's, it's uh, the body of Christ made up of many different members and we're meant to be friends in the Lord. That's a phrase that St. Ignatius used for us as Jesuits, but it applies to all Christians. We're baptized into Christ. We're meant to have this fellowship, you know, as we kind of journey in a world that is, you know, we know more and more uh, is very dark and in some ways very opposed to God and his will. So we're kind of trudging along uh, on this journey, on this adventure and trying to support one another. So, yeah, I think that's kind of a cool feature of the story too. Um, so this is um so we're at uh about 36 minutes right now 35 36 minutes we could go another two hours right and and looking at the notes that you've compiled (laughs) another (laughs) hour so would do that justice but i think we would start losing people so yeah um, yeah start kind of bringing her home Right. I mean, and if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings or read the books, then um, uh, evil loses and um, good wins. <laughs> Just That's a right. spoiler alert. Just a spoiler alert. Well, we, it wasn't a word. We're saying we're, we're telling them after the fact that it's well, a spoiler. But I think they probably would have guessed that anyway. I'm I am absolutely convinced that everyone, anyone that listens to this podcast, knows more about Lord of the Rings and, <laughs> and, and his experience than the two than of I us. Yeah. But I am uh, I'm I'm definitely um, I'm, I'm I have a deeper appreciation for it, and will yeah, and I'm now uh, more committed to doing the reading. The thing that intrigues me is how this is like once it's put under the microscope and once it's being studied and it's being you know talked about by mm. by scholars of uh, the deep catholicism within um the book i mean they'll they'll do mm-hmm. they'll say well it's christian and it's catholic and it's like all right well it's like it, 
Catholic is Christian, but whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it it being the fourth most popular book in the world, I'm wondering how many people actually recognize the Catholicism that's running through the book because it's um, it's so deeply woven in this. Well, world. and even among Catholics, I think there's probably a lot sure. that yeah wouldn't. Uh, it would all make sense once they have it kind of explained to them and their eyes are open to it. But I think yeah, you can watch all the films and read all the books and. Just think, oh, this is kind of a neat story, but not really think uh, that consciously about the Catholic um, worldview. So I, I agree. It, and again, that's part of the genius is it can appeal to people that aren't Catholic or even Christian because it's got kind of these universal human themes. And, and that's the neat thing about Catholicism is, you know, grace builds on nature. And, and so God has already designed the human person and designed the world in such a way that it you know, it's, it, Catholicism isn't like foreign to that. Um, it, it just kind of makes more explicit what God is doing from the beginning. And, you know, right. so, yeah. 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 Well, the, the thing that intrigues me is that um, what a great tool of evangelization. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know so many people that have read that who are just diehard fans of this book, you know, read it like, Every year, they'll, they'll watch the movies. They've got the extended cuts. They, they're doing all that. and But aren't, you know, they're atheists. I mean, they're just, uh-huh. you know, they, they have no uh, faith life whatsoever. But to be able to, to introduce this, it's something that they love. Be like, by the way, um, this is an inherently religious book. Uh-huh. Um, I think it would just be a fantastic. I think that that like the one thing I would want to get across to anybody who's listening to this thing is is you know go and do some of the research and we'll put some links. We'll put a link to um, a wonderful podcast about this, which is way longer than we're going to go. Um, <laughs> right. But it's it's uh, it's a huge dive into the Catholicism of, of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, but but learn some basic facts, and then you can you can go and you can have a conversation with somebody who loves the series but haven't fallen in love with the church yet. Right. Right. And I, I think that's uh, I don't know. I think that's really impressive. The other thing that that I'm curious about. Um, with this whole thing, and I and, and I hope you're okay with me kind of getting us to wrap this up. Yes, indeed. Um, it's because of how Catholic this is. Um, I'm wondering when um, people are going to start turning and being critical of this. Like the mass population yeah. is is going to come out and be like, well, no pun intended, mass population. But I mean, for example, um, when Google first started, and how long ago was that? Was that uh, mm. 20 years ago? 20, I was going to say 20, but yeah. But when Google first started, if you typed in Mother Teresa into the Google search, you would get article after article after article, book after book after book about uh, this woman who is going to be a saint, um, the wonderful works that she was doing, all the wonderful things that she's she's accomplished, and what an impression she's made on the world. And now, if you type in Mother Teresa into your search engine, you're going to pull up, you will find a lot of things talking about what a horrible person Mother Teresa is, mm. how she didn't care about anybody. And it's just this radical turn 
hmm. on uh, somebody who it's hard to believe. <laughs> it's it's impossible to believe. If you yeah. have any conversations with anybody who's, I didn't have the opportunity to to um, go to India, but I know people who did. Yeah, and specifically went there because of Mother Teresa, and they oh, tell sure. me stories about Mother Teresa that mm-hmm. were absolutely amazing, and they're firsthand stories. Yeah. And, and, and it's just like, but that, that, that now there's this, this hatred towards somebody mm. who is a phenomenal representation of Catholicism. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's their, I mean, what's their basis? Is it just cause she didn't work for like structural change and just took care of actual poor people or I mean, what, on what no, basis? They said that she didn't take care of poor people. So that she could oh. have used your power to, um, bring medicine and 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 help the people that were dying and and so that they weren't dying. That's like, well, she was just uh, being sadistic and mm, no, um, okay. and, and pulling them off the streets and letting them die inside uh, for her own edification. It's just like, well, that's just the mm. most twisted thing I've ever. Well, heard. so you're wondering but, if at some point the Lord of the Rings is going to have a similar fate. If it, it it it's so inherently Catholic, at at what point does the world start hating it because of that? You know, the only thing, though, is with Mother Teresa, I mean, obviously, she was a Catholic nun, she wore a habit, she was, you know, she went to adoration, she did all these kind of Catholic things. So it's easier to take your hatred for Catholicism, I think, and kind of like project it onto her. I think maybe with a saving grace with Lord of the Rings is precisely the fact that the Catholicism, while it's shot through, it's, uh, it's subtle enough that maybe a lot of people won't even, like, notice. So... Maybe that's the one thing that's going to keep it from being so Maybe. attacked. Maybe. I, I, I could don't know. be wrong about it. But, but that was, but it could. as it I was could. doing the research, that, yeah. um, and the more I, I was realizing how Catholic this was, I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just assuming that uh, someday in the future, people are going to say terrible things about Lord of the Rings. It, they might. They might. And Tolkien himself was unabashedly Catholic. I mean, he uh, went to daily mass, and he, you know, so those people, and I don't know how much, again, people are going to care about knowing about his life. But if they were, I mean, that would, that would be probably something that would make a lot of, a lot of people more and more just say, well, I'm, it's not even worth looking at then if that's who he was, you know, so. fourth most popular book in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, Amazing. it's, uh, it's, it's a religious book. I mean, most popular yeah. book is Bible. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. that, that big of it. Anyway. Um, I just, I just, just the more I read about him and the more I read uh, about the movies and books, um, the more impressed I get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, keep reading, keep reading. You'll, you'll love the rest. So can't wait to see how it ends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was like, and then I will just, I will just offer like the things that stopped me from moving forward just for, if anybody cares, which they probably don't. <laughs> but, uh, the first movie was like 14 hours long. How long was that in the theater? It was like, Oh, uh, I think, aren't they all like three? I think three, three and a half, something like that. Yeah. And then the movie like ends with the, the, the band of the, the fellowship or whoever's, and they all, they're, they're all walking and they get to the top of a hill or a mountain. And then they look out on the landscape <laughs> and then it, the credits roll. And I'm like, yeah. well, I haven't read the books. Really? Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is how it ends. And yeah. people would be like, we got to understand it's a trilogy. It's I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> true. Star Wars was a trilogy, but they blew up the Death Star for me in the first one. So I had a <laughs> little bit of resolution there. Right. Right. Oh, 
then again, you know, it's like that's just my expectations of what a trilogy should be. Well, but uh, um, cool. so yeah, I went and I saw all three movies in the theater. Yep, yep. And then oh. I told the people, and then I still I was still knew these people that were such huge fans. Mm-hmm. And after the third one, I had seen the movie before they had, and I said, "Well, you got to wade through all the credits um, because there's an alternate ending." And they were like, oh, really? And and they were so mad at me, Father. Yeah, was, oh, I believe it. I believe it. As they should be. As they should be, Jim. <laughs> alternate ending. Like, well, how, would you, how would there be an alternate ending? <laughs> I know. I know. Like, uh, like, what would possibly make you think that that was true? Uh, anyway. They're not, they're not speaking to you anymore now, I guess. No, actually, I don't hang out with any of them. <laughs> That that may be the reason. All right. Well, we're coming up on an hour, so we should probably really wrap it up now, right? Yeah, we we went way over. That's okay. Rude in time. Um, Wait, did we really go an hour? Hold on. Let me take a look at this. Oh, no. Actually, that's what it's saying on my my phone. But we start recording. We're uh, we're at about 45 minutes. We're at about 45. So so we're good. I thought we were doing all right. Um, The the stuff that we like, the link that uh, we're going to put on there is uh, for something called the Burrowshire Podcast. We are not uh, (laughs) embarrassed to share a better podcast than ours. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this one definitely falls into that category. Yeah. And if 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 you were intrigued mildly by what uh, what we were talking about today, go and listen to their podcast uh, on Lord of the Rings, which is yep. um, hugely long, but <laughs> very informative. So informative, and these two people are so passionate about it. It's uh, right. Oh my gosh, it's scary. It's Brandon, uh, is it Vot? Vot, yes, it's V-O-G-T. He works with uh, Word on Fire and Bishop Barron, but it's pronounced Vot. And, and then a priest uh, friend his, of his. his best bud, Father Blake Britton. Right. Um, and they're the, and they just like. Oh my gosh, yeah. And they, they require that before you listen to the podcast, <laughs> you have to watch all three movies. <laughs> I and kind of expected them versions. to wear. You can't watch just. Oh the yeah, no, one. definitely the extended you versions. You have yeah. to watch the extended versions, <laughs> and then you can watch their podcast. I, I, I'm kind of surprised they're not dressed as like one of them is a hobbit and one is Gandalf or something. I mean, they're really into it. So right, but, but they're but it, really entertaining. But, they're, but they, yeah, they're they're really well. It's a yes. very articulate podcast. And, it is, and, and I'm I'm really happy to have found it. Yep. So um, I will leave a link in the description for that. Excellent. Anything you want to close with, Father? Oh, uh, no, maybe just a prayer. How's that? Prayer sounds good. I like that. Let's do that. Sure. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to uh, look at a wonderful piece of literature and to see how it reflects our Catholic faith. So we just ask that you would bless uh, all of our listeners and help them to live out their faith in their daily life. Help them to see your presence, Jesus, hidden and mediated through the beauty of creation and the goodness of our world. We also ask, Jesus, that uh, through your activity in the world and through your intercession, Blessed Mother, that, that more light might envelop us and that the darkness in the world might be vanquished. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our listeners and remain with them forever. Amen. Amen. All right, Jim. Well, listen, have a great week. 
And you too, uh, Father. Keep reading your Lord of the Rings. <laughs> God bless everybody. Take care. Bye bye.